Um, let us pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Um, many years ago, late 1990s at Christ Methodist Church when I was pastoring there, on a rainy morning like this, after the service, a lady came up to me and sort of complained. She said, well, since it was raining this morning, I thought I'd sleep in and skip church. But then I dreamt of you. And so I thought I better come. So I said, that's good. Then she said, please don't do that again. So I said, uh, I'll try my best. Pastors get blamed for a lot of things. you know. Okay, two things. Number one, um, it may surprise you, but although I consider myself a very true blue, deeply committed Wesleyan, I don't always agree with John Wesley. And two, today we are asking about your true spiritual age, your true spiritual age. So let's do Wesley first. I admit I have some reservations about his teachings concerning Christian perfection. The smaller point is first, I'm not sure I like the term grand depositum. Uh, if you want to know why, just ask me in person. Second, I don't quite agree with his narrow or limited definition of sin as known or deliberate sin. Well, in any case, I prefer not to use the more archaic terms Christian perfection or entire sanctification because they are quite open to misunderstanding. But I must assure you that I totally believe in this biblical word teleos. Teleos, the New Testament word that's translated perfection or maturity. So I much prefer Christian maturity instead of Christian perfection to describe what the Bible expects of Christians. Now, this leads us to the question of true spiritual age. What do we mean here? Well, if you've been a Christian for 20 years, now let's just see, how many of us here have been a Christian for at least 20 years? Admit, uh, God knows, so, okay, uh, all right. If you've been a Christian for 20 years, do you have the spiritual maturity of a Christian of 20 years? Did you get the question? Not chronological age, not physical age. If you've been a Christian for 20 years, does your spiritual maturity match that 20 years? Or are you still a spiritual infant or child? Because this was exactly the problem addressed by the writer of Hebrews. So let's look at our scripture today. From Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 to 14, I read it from the English Standard Version. Will you now hear the word of God? For through, but though... For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is the word of God. And we pray that he will bless to us not only the understanding, but also the practice of his word. Now, this sounds harsh, but I think thoroughly deserved. And while it is true 
that most Christians do lag behind uh, in spiritual maturity, including me. These were supposed to be grown-up Christians, the writer of Hebrews was addressing, but they were still babies. Not only did their spiritual maturity not match, but they were still infants. How can we tell? Well, because of MOI. This is a pun. MOI is the French for moi, which means me. But MOI for us stands as marks of immaturity or infancy. What are these marks? Well, from the text, one, not able to teach. Two, need repeat instructions on basics. Three, needing milk, not solid food. And four, unskilled in spiritual matters. So what, we are, what is a mum? M-O-M. Well, marks of maturity, of course. One, able to instruct. That means, on the other hand, able to take solid food. Three, trained in the practice of righteousness to discern good from evil because of constant experience. So, therefore, that's why Hebrews 6, 1 to 3, the writer continues and urges, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. You know, it's like a student who is retained forever in primary one. Can you imagine that? Or like NS men, uh, do BMC again and again and again until ROD or ORD. Uh, that's not equivalent of what, uh, in, in, in Singaporean terms of reference, what the writer of Hebrews is trying to talk about. Sadly, even if we look at our sermon topics in many churches today, this is actually what's happening. The basics are repeated again and again and again and again. Uh, Lewis is nodding vigorously. All right. Huh? BMT. Uh, sorry, not BMC. Okay. Also, okay. BMT repeated until ORD or BMC. That means in church, you cannot go BMC 10 times before we make you church member. Would you like that? Okay, sorry, uh, but good, good, good heads up. Yeah, I can extend the metaphor. Repeating the basics again and again. Hebrews says this is not teleos. It is not maturity. What's the key? The key, as far as I can tell, is food or nourishment. How do we feed spiritually and grow? Whether it's active or passive. English teacher will understand what I mean. Huh? Active or passive voice. For the spiritually immature or infant, it is always passive, being fed. The metaphor here is a nursing infant. And the Bible is relatively clear. 1 Peter 2.2 2 says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. So, spiritual infant, milk, liquid, fed, Passive. For the mature, on the other hand, therefore, it is solid food, feed, active. Using a singlish, now being popularized in the political circles, it means own self, feed, own self. You get that? All right? If you forget everything else in this sermon, you just 
Remember, oh self, feed on self. That's the whole point of this sermon. This is the MOM, the mark of maturity, spiritually speaking. But then you may ask, hey, how about John 21? Isn't it your job as pastor to feed us? Well, while it is true that in the New Testament, the word for pastor, uh, the word for pastor is literally shepherd. Let's look at the scripture, John 21, again, properly. All right, John 21, verses 15 to 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend or shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Here the metaphor is pastoral. But when I talk about pastors, it's not about clergy, it's about animal husbandry. It's about rearing sheep, not pastors. I know the, it's, the, the slide implies that we rear pastors, but that's not the intention. I saw the mistake, purposely leave it on for effect. It's about rearing sheep, not about church pastors doing it. How do sheep, sheep feed how did shepherds tend the flock in Jesus' day? Yes, for the lambs, for the baby sheep, or the sick sheep, maybe they need to be fed. They needed to be fed. But for normal sheep, what does the shepherd do? Lead them to the pasture and say, please help yourself. Like buffet, right? Please help yourself. Seems to me that this has so much, loads to say about how to facilitate spiritual maturity. And I've said this before. To expect feeding from the pulpit to be the main source of spiritual nourishment not only guarantees a lack of spiritual maturity, but is ultimately unbiblical. Say that again. Huh? To expect the feeding from the pulpit to be the main source of spiritual nourishment not only guarantees a lack of spiritual maturity, but it is ultimately unbiblical. You don't find anything in the Bible that leads you to conclude this. There's actually a dark side explanation, but maybe I won't say lah, because that would be cruel to pastors. Seems to me that the pastor or the shepherd's main task is to guide the sheep to pasture so that they may feed active rather than be fed passive and so to attain spiritual maturity. This means facilitating experiences like training, small groups, service opportunities, <clears throat> and especially, especially the practice of spiritual disciplines. Because this is the solid food that helps Christians grow spiritually. So that we can leave behind the basics and go on to other things. So that we can teach instead of needing to be taught and retaught so that we can go to solid food instead of needing milk all the time, so that we can be trained in the practice of righteousness 
spiritual discernment and discipleship. Not only training, but practice as well. And then we can fulfill what Paul wrote in Colossians 1, 28-29. This is what Paul says, Him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ, teleos. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. By the way, to me, this is an implied alelon. I don't know whether you remember the alelons that we did. One another's. Because the operative pronoun is we. And therefore, this is not the pastor's job. All of us are to present one another mature in Christ. Teleos in Christ. And like Paul we need then, as we know this, to determine to put all our heart and soul into it because it is that important. So what is the pastor's other duty? To help us all understand this and to get on with our own spiritual maturity. And this is what I believe the Bible means by working out our own salvation with fear and trembling and also help one another to do the same. I wonder if any of us have heard of Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church and uh, Mega Church and uh, Purpose Driven Theology. In 1996, he wrote about spiritual maturity, and I just read to you some excerpts. Scripture clearly indicates that it is God's will for every believer to achieve spiritual maturity. We must be aware, though, of some popular myths regarding spiritual growth. So, first myth is that maturity is automatic. There's the assumption that when people <clears throat> just uh, will get mature if they just attend church regularly. Maturity, on the other hand, has to be intentional, requires commitment and effort. Two, that maturity is mystical. That is out of reach of the ordinary or average person or Christian, that only a few can hope to attain it. All of us are called to maturity. Maturity is instant. That's another myth. Like it's bound up in a single experience or conference or revival. Maturity is a process that takes time. Maturity is also <clears throat> not just knowledge. Bible knowledge is certainly foundational, but it is not the total measure. Righteous behavior, that what Hebrews says clearly, also mark Christian maturity. Next myth is that maturity is personal and private. Spiritual maturity doesn't occur in isolation, and John Wesley would be the first to agree with this. Christians who withhold themselves from fellowship with other believers are disobeying the one another commands, the alelon commands of Scripture. The myth of maturity is Bible study. Um, Bible study may be vital, but maturity includes loving relationships, the use of gifts, a heart to worship God, among other things. And Warren concludes, spiritual growth is a process that begins with commitment and involves the development of habits or spiritual disciplines. It is measured in the areas of perspective, convictional convictions, skills, and character, as well as 
Bible knowledge. This is good stuff. This is stuff what the Bible tells us. So let us not only leave the elementary doctrines, but also set aside myths about spiritual maturity. And as far as I can tell, there's no exact definition of what spirituality is in the scriptures. In the scriptures, you don't get a clear definition, except that we can look at Jesus, who grew, the Bible says, in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Well, that's a good place to start, to get an understanding of what Christian maturity means. Surely Christ-likeness, you can call it Christian character, or even the fruit of the Spirit, this is an essential part of it. And this can only be attained through spiritual disciplines, as far as I can understand. But so is what Paul in Ephesians describes as the strengthening of the inner person. The strengthening of the inner person. And all of this can only be appropriated through spiritual disciplines. And if you really want a good insight, intro, and help to practice of spiritual disciplines, I recommend to you Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. This is one of the most excellent Christian books ever written, in my opinion, especially a highlight of the 20th century. As Warren also tries to explain, there are no shortcuts. Paul says that it will take all the spiritual energy that God supplies. And I apologize because this is not a, a typical senior Sunday sermon. Because senior Sunday sermon is supposed to be nice to the senior people, uh, tell them it's good to be old, and tell myself also because I'm already there, and uh, let's go on, you will bear fruit in old age and all that. But I must say, this applies to seniors as well, okay? especially seniors in a way. People like me who have been in church for youngs. You know what's youngs? Youngs is like three aeons, multiple ages. Some of us have been church 50 years. Um, we need to ask ourselves, in the 50 years we've been in church, does our spiritually, spiritual maturity reflect those 50 years? Or are we still struggling with spiritual infancy? So to conclude, <clears throat> let me share something that was printed in Impact Magazine in the year 2000. A testimony of the then uh, of the former principal of DTC, Discipleship Training Centre. Won't tell his own name, if, his full name. If you know, you know. I'll just use his first name. There was a man called John, and that's also borrowed from Bible, who wrote, <clears throat> We are no more than what we are in our inner lives. The first few months after my wife and I, he says, and two active kids arrived at DTC, the people saw only the outer John. But gradually, the pressures of family life in a, in a close community and of barely being able to keep head above water in teaching began to take its toll. Under the pressure and stress, the outer, apparently godly John began to peel away until finally the inner core was exposed. And at the core, John was bad-tempered, critical, given to shouting, and harsh to the family, especially the children. 
So he says, there I stood with a strong sense of failure and an equally strong desire for instant holiness. You can put maturity also there. In my inner life, so that I could minister effectively. But holiness takes time. It takes conscious nurturing. He continues, <clears throat> around that, um, uh, I suppose around that time, a much-loved brother in Christ, drifted pastor, died of cancer at the age of 30. But the victorious way in which he died preached so powerfully. Some months before he died, some students and I, he says, visited this guy called Eugene in hospital. One of the students began to massage him to give him some relief from the bed sores and aches. The student massaged and massaged until the student himself was sweating profusely. Later, this student testified that as he massaged Eugene, the one who died of cancer, he said something I will never forget, John records. As I massaged, my hands felt a broken body. But inside that broken body, I felt a strong spirit. If our inner life is godly, we can be confident by God's grace that we will have integrity before God and before men. This is a story of true spiritual maturity. Building up the inner person growing Christian character through spiritual disciplines so that we do not have MOI, moi, marks of immaturity or infancy, but we will have mum, M-O-M, marks of Christian maturity. You know, the church staff <clears throat> have regular silent retreats at the Kenosian Convent at Jurong Kachil. I think some people in our church, prayer ministry especially, have also used that retreat place. In the retreat dining area, there's a notice board with some rules for the Kenosian sisters. Number three says, responsible for her own holistic ongoing formation. Responsible for own holistic ongoing formation. If we want to be spiritually mature, that is a good place to start. Let us pray. Father, we ask <clears throat> your forgiveness if we lag significantly in spiritual maturity, especially if after many years as a Christian, we somehow have remained spiritual infants. We pray that you will help us, that you will help us truly engage with all our heart in the process of spiritual maturity. We ask that you help us to take responsibility for our own spiritual growth, but also to be determined to help each other present one another mature in Christ, because this is your desire for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, our supreme example of spiritual maturity, we pray. Amen.